Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer from the Chicago Cubs, and you're listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast featuring everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Manaman. This podcast is produced on Anchor, where you can record, edit, and publish all from your smartphone. You can find the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other major podcast platforms. Stepping to the batter's box. Welcome back and thank you for joining me on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. As always, this is everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman. And today we're joined by somebody who really does not need any introduction. If you've been following his story, if you've been reading the TH, the Bleacher Nation, the Chicago Cubs reports, he's been all over the news. But we are joined today by Colin Ray who is a former member of the Chicago Cubs, the San Diego Padres, a short-lived stint with the Miami Marlins, who is making the jump to Japan. Colin was a 12th round pick of the San Diego Padres, and his connection to Dubuque started while he played in Cascade under Hall of Fame coach Jerry Rowling. Colin, welcome to the podcast. This is awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I've... You are my number one most requested guest. Uh, I I always ask people who they want to see on the podcast, and you are always up there with uh, Kevin Romberg and Ian Moeller are the three people that they want to hear from in the area. So it's it's great to cross one off that list. Now, Colin, if you don't mind me asking, when we're kids playing in Dubuque County, we all have dreams of being major league baseball players and many of us in the area dream of playing at Wrigley Field or Bush Stadium or Miller Park. I know it's renamed, but I'm always going to call it Miller Park. You just recently opted out of a contract with the Cubs and are choosing to go to Japan on a one-year contract with an option of a second year why would you leave Major League Baseball, which some would say is the pinnacle of a baseball player's career, to go play overseas in Japan? Yeah, um, I, th- I think there's a lot of different kind of answers to that. But um, and you're right, it is it is a, a dream to play in Wrigley Field and to, to pitch in any big league game. Honestly, is a obviously a dream come true. Um, I think there's a lot of factors that went into it for me. Um, you know, it's just a good opportunity to kind of get uh, get some starts under my belt, kind of kind of get back in that starting mode. And I felt like if I went to Japan, then um, those opportunities would be greater over there. And as much as I wanted to pitch for the Cubs and still do, you know, it's obviously something that it's going to be a dream for me to get back there. And I think. 90%, if not 100% of the players over in Japan, they also want to, they're playing to come over to play in the big leagues as well. So, but that being said, it's just, it was one of those opportunities that was, that was too good to pass up. And, and I felt like, 
if I did, I'd always look back on it and just kind of wonder like what that experience would have been like. And, you know, just, you know, it's just a great opportunity. And, and like I said, as, as much as I wanted to, to pitch for the Cubs and, and pitch at Wrigley Field and even in front of fans, um, this was just an opportunity that I couldn't pass. When I read the article that Jim Leitner wrote uh, a couple days ago, I, I took it as you are wanting to go there because you just want to have the opportunity to play where you weren't sure with the Cubs if you were going to be on the big league squad or if you're going to be back in Iowa. And this is an opportunity for you to go pitch and prove yourself and maybe have one big major league contract. And also, what are some of the perks of going to Japan? I was reading the laundry list of things that they were going to provide you and your family, and I don't see why more people don't take this opportunity. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, they try and make it as simple as possible for you and your family to go over there. Um, you know, I, I obviously have not been there as to play. I've been there, me and my wife went there um, in 2015, and we just went there with the Padres, and we did some touring of the cities, and we also did some baseball camps there. So we got that little experience of being over in Japan, but you're right. I mean, they, they try and take care of you, and that, that's what I've heard from players who have played there in the past. Um, they've just loved their experiences over there and, and just seem like super nice people over there in Japan. And and as far as, uh, you know, what you were saying before about Jim and, and uh, going over there and getting some starts, I definitely – you know, that confidence of me um, going into spring training with the Cubs, I definitely felt like I had a good opportunity to make the team, um, you know, even as a starter. That's my mentality going into every spring training. Um, never really guaranteed a spot or anything, but just kept got to go in there and prove myself. And but like, like I said, like this opportunity and everything that's provided and, and just how they've treated us throughout the this process so far this last month um, has been great so even the things that people wouldn't think about I saw they're providing you with a place to live a car um, transportation services um, I, I think maybe some educational opportunities for your children as well some things that people don't even think about when they're going in now the past season what was it like pitching and playing in in empty stadiums i know i enjoyed the stadiums where they didn't pipe in the crowd noise because you could hear the players and the managers and the coaches on the field and it it felt like at times you were sitting in the dugout or on the field but what was that experience like not playing in front of people yeah it was different for sure um i think at times it was it was tough because you know we'd be playing to like rival teams like the Cardinals or something. And it just, you know, I didn't get that experience of the Cub Cardinal rivalry with the fans and everything. Um, I've never been a part of it, so I can't compare it, but you know, I'd imagine that it was quite a bit different and it was too, but you know, like I always go back to the first game I got on in this year against the Royals. I felt like everything so, happened so fast. I didn't notice that there was you know, I wouldn't have noticed that there that it was a packed stadium or one fan there. Um, so, but overall, it just kind of seemed like 
It was more relaxed for sure. Um, you know, at times it kind of seemed like scrimmaging almost, but usually most of the time when you're, when you're locked in and, and I think more so as a reliever coming in and short stints, when you're locked in like that for three hitters, four hitters, whatever it is, you, you hardly even notice the, the crowd. Um, at least that's just my opinion, I guess. Um, and I remember going back to the days when I was starting in San Diego. I mean, I wouldn't really even notice the fans cheering. Um, there was one instance when I did, and that was in Dodger Stadium on a Saturday night. Um, 55,000 plus people there. I could feel like the ground rumbling underneath my feet. It was, it was, I think it was the sixth or seventh inning and it was a big, big, uh, point of the game. And, but other than that, like you're so locked in and you're so focused on what's going on. Um, it just makes it, it makes it, um, it makes it hard to kind of focus in on, on the, the fans and, and what you're trying to do on the field. One of my favorite things to do is I like to travel around to all of the different stadiums and I like to sit in what would be the premier spot. So I, I've had the opportunity to watch a game from on top of the Green Monster at Fenway Park, still trying to get into the pool at the Diamondback Stadium. But one of my favorite places to watch a game is from 1044 West Waveland. It's the it's the rooftops right outside of Wrigley Field. Now if you fans that are listening to this, if you do a rooftop, you have to do 1044 West Waveland. It doesn't have an obstructed view. It's it's the best rooftop. You have to look out for some of those. But they did allow fans to watch games from the rooftops. Now we know Cubs fans and the and the bleachers are crazy. Now, did any of that craziness, could you hear that pitching at Wrigley all the way from the Wrigley Field rooftops, or was it still pretty tame? You could hear it at times, for sure. Um, and I, I think we noticed it the most when we were walking it out to the bullpen before the games. People would, like, call our names, and, and not so much me, but other players and, <laughs> and stuff. And we, we throw them baseballs and stuff, so we kind of interact, interact with them in that way. But, um, yeah, it was, for the most part, it was pretty, pretty quiet unless they piped in the crowd noise. You shared about pitching in Dodger Stadium earlier, and you did get to pitch in a great park in San Diego with the apartments in in left field. What were some of your favorite parks to pitch in, and well, who was your favorite team growing up? Um, favorite park? I mean, Petco Park's hard to beat in San Diego. I mean, it's just so clean, and it's right there on the water. Um, it's just a really nice stadium, um, but there's really not a bad one. I, Dodger Stadium's cool, just this, this atmosphere. Um, I really liked pitching in St. Louis, actually. Um, but again, a lot of it has to do with like the fans and just you know the atmosphere around it. But um, and actually, Toronto, Toronto was a really that's a really cool place to pitch in. Like it's really loud, and obviously the Canadians like to to get a little rowdy up there. So um, it, it's pretty fun, but. Um, yeah, I would say those are probably the top, but obviously not really a, a bad one to pitch in. Yeah, you think they groom all of those major league mounds. Every mound probably feels the same. Now, I do want to talk about your journey to get there. We've talked about your time in the big leagues. What 
grade and what age were you when you started playing varsity out at Cascade? And besides being a pitcher, what other positions did you play? Um, varsity, I pitched as a freshman. I got like maybe five, five or six starts my freshman year, and I didn't play the field or anything that year. Just pitched, and I didn't even hit, I don't think. And then um, after that, sophomore through senior year, I played center field and and pitched as well. Um, yeah, and then I think, um, yeah, so. And what age did you start getting interest from college programs, and when did you realize you had a chance to play baseball professionally? Um, I remember pretty much my junior year, um, that summer was when Marty Sutherland, who's a, he's he's assistant coach at Iowa now. He was the assistant coach at Northern Iowa. He was coming to some of our games um, to watch me and, and another guy, Nate Meyer, play. Um, and that was kind of the first interest, and really the only interest um, that I got from from colleges. Um, that I can remember. I think there was a tiny little bit of interest from Iowa, but not, not very much. Um, and then as far as when I felt like I was going to play professionally, I didn't really know anything about professional baseball. I didn't know anything about the minor leagues, like coming through high school, I had no idea, but I remember telling my wife, Megan, who was my girlfriend at the time, I remember telling her that I was going to play professional baseball when I was in high school. And I didn't even know what it was, really. I just I knew there was the big leagues. You know, I, I didn't I had no clue about the minor leagues until obviously until I went through it. But uh, yeah, yeah. So sometime in high school, I definitely definitely for some reason I just had that in my mind that I was going to play. And you had a good one to learn under. Coach Rowling has been on the show a, a couple times, and and playing for him, I'm sure he probably prepared you for the experience of going off to college. And you had an interesting journey in college. You played for a different few, a different, a few different universities and share with us what colleges did you play at? What were your experiences there? And some people might not know the background of why you, a touted pitcher would have been in quite a few different programs. Yeah. So that was kind of a crazy journey um, to start off. I went to uh, Northern Iowa my freshman year, and then uh, sophomore year went to St. Petersburg College in Florida, and uh, then I ended up at Indiana State my junior year and got drafted. The reason why I um, was at only at Northern Iowa for one year was that was the last year of the baseball program they cut it. I think they told us after our first game of the season that spring that it was going to be the last season. Um, uh, ever at, at Northern Iowa, so they were going to have to terminate the program. Um, so at, at that time, you know, we just finished out the season. I think they gave us the option to redshirt if we wanted to, um, so that when we transferred to a different school, it wouldn't count as a year of eligibility. But um, I opted to play, and then um, after the season, we were trying to figure out, you know, where where we we're going to go to play the following year, and. And one of my buddies at the time, who was a freshman, there was there was 
three other freshmen going to this junior college in Florida, St. Petersburg. And I was kind of on the fence about it. And I remember Coach Heller called me and said, he got the hitting coach job at Creighton, like towards the end of the summer that year. And he called me and he was like, hey, you know, I think you should come to Creighton. Like we don't, obviously last minute, we don't have any scholarship money for you. But, and I was like, you know, I'll I'll think about it, whatever. I'd make a quick decision. Well, in the meantime, I ended up deciding to go to St. Petersburg just because there was three other guys, three of my friends that were going down there from Northern Iowa. And it was just going to be overall just a good situation, good to play some baseball in Florida and stuff like that. But then a couple of days later, Coach Heller called me and said that he ended up getting a head coach job at Indiana State. So it's a good thing I didn't go to Creighton. Yeah. But, uh, and then he kind of uh, recruited me and this other guy, Reggie Hostedler, uh, another pitcher who went down to St. Petersburg. We both ended up going to Indiana State um, together. Yeah, Coach Heller, we've had some guests on that have played for him, that have worked for him, and it seems like he has such a loyal following of staff and players that, that speak very highly of of him. Now, Colin, I want you to think back to high school, and I also want you to think back to, to college as well. What are some of those memorable pitching performances that you remember where you were locked in and – People just couldn't touch you. Uh, <laughs> there, there wasn't like a, there wasn't a ton of those games. I remember my freshman year, actually of high school, I had a game. Um, I forget who it was against. It was, um, gosh, East Buchanan, I want to say, and I had like a, I think I was perfect through six and two thirds. Um, and this was on varsity, like it was maybe like my third or fourth start. And I remember that okay, but I like looking back, I'm like, I don't know how that really ever happened. Like I was a freshman, didn't really know like how to pitch or what was going on, but I think it just worked out. I think they ended up getting a couple hits or whatever. But um, And then I remember I didn't really have too many games that sit out in college. I was kind of my freshman year I wasn't great you know I didn't really I didn't really throw a lot and then when I did I didn't throw well uh my sophomore year down in St. Pete was tough that was probably one of the hardest years I've had pitching in my career um it seemed like every time I went out just got smashed but um (laughs) (laughs) it was crazy they were some of the best hitters down there um my junior year I I felt like I had a really um good start against Wichita State and <clears throat> the timing was kind of right there because that was that was actually when there was um, quite a few scouts at the game and the Padres like you know I think head scout or something was there and which I didn't know at the time but they told me that after and that was I, I forget what I went maybe seven innings one run maybe or something like that but I just remember I had all four pitches working really well that game um and then professionally I would say um I had a start against the Mets where I was like six and two-thirds no hit um and then end up I think 
Cespedes. Oh yeah. Ended up getting a base hit. Um, so yeah, those are those are kind of the ones that stick out. I didn't realize this this about you until I started researching you, but um, you played in the Cape Cod League. And there is a lot of developmental leagues out there now, a lot more than what there used to be. But the Cape Cod, that is almost like the creme de la creme of, of prospect leagues. I believe it's the top collegiate summer baseball league. What was that experience like? And that league takes all of the top players from all over the world. Who were some of the guys that you played with that are every or played against that are everyday names that we see and we watch on Wednesday night, Sunday night baseball, we see in the playoffs. Yeah, I went up there for like, it was a very short stand at the end of the summer in 2010. Um, I think guys were who had been there all summer up there in the Cape, some of them want to go home early before college. So the pitching coach at Loris, my brother played baseball at Loris. He's a year older than me. And the pitching coach at Loris was the pitching coach for Hyenas, Harbor Hawks, and the Cape. Um, so that's how I kind of got connected um, that way. He called me and just said, hey, we have uh, some guys heading home. Do you want to come in, come up and make a start? And I was like, sure. So I came up, and I think I threw once out of the bullpen and then made a start. So I actually – I don't even really remember – who was on the team really um i i do remember a few guys because i ended up playing with them with the padres i got drafted uh casey mcelroy and dane phillips were both on that team um and then the one guy that stuck out the most was john rudiger would have been rudy rudiger's nephew he was actually the mvp of the league and he was on our team um i know he ended up getting drafted but i, I don't know how long he played for as far as big name guys, I can't even really remember, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. And if you were only there for a short time, I, I might have to do a little bit more digging and see what year you played and, and look at some of the rosters to see maybe some of the guys uh, that you may have missed while you were there. Now, yeah. well, you're right. The, the Cape Cod, it was, it was, it yeah. was the best of the best, and and I think still is. I haven't really followed it a ton, but, um, it's a, it's a great league and there are a ton of great leagues out there for sure. Yeah. And there's, there's more in the, in the pipeline as well. And it's great to see the kids from the community go and play there. Now you were drafted in the 12th round in 2011 by the San Diego Padres. You shared earlier that one of their head scouts saw you pitch when you were in college. What was draft day like? And what were some other teams that were showing some interest in you? Yeah, draft day was pretty um, – we just kind of sat at my mom and dad's, um, a few of us, and we listened to the draft over the – on the internet. Like, we hooked it up to speakers and just kind of sat there and listened because we didn't know, like – you know, you hear those talks of, like, oh, yeah, we're, we want we want to get you in the fourth round and, we, oh, we want you in the sixth. But you never know, like, what's going to happen. Anything can, anything can kind of happen on that day. Um so it's it's kind of funny because I ended up obviously the twelfth round came and the Padres picked us and and we were excited we were celebrating a bunch of my friends came over and 
and family and stuff. And I think it was like three or four rounds later, I got another call from the, uh, the Diamondbacks. And they were like, hey, we want to take you in the 16th round or 17th, whatever it was. And I was like, oh, well, I was already drafted. And they were like, oh, you were? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> they were like, oh, we better scratch your name off the list. <laughs> so I got drafted twice, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, no, it was just, it was a good, it was, it was really fun. And bunch, like I said, a bunch of my family and friends came over and we celebrated and it was a good time. That that's great to hear. I know we had Nick Ungs on earlier, and he was talking about how it, the draft was over AOL internet, and back when he was in the draft, and now I mean it's um, MLB Network devotes a whole night leading up to it, a whole night during the draft. It's it's interesting how it's changed, and we've had some kids in the area and some upcoming kids in the area that will experience that. Then. I do want to talk to you about your professional career. You made your major league debut on August 11th of 2015. Who gave you the news that you were going to the big leagues? What emotions did you have when you got the news? And who was that first phone call that you made after you got the news? Yeah, it was uh, definitely a very emotional day. I think it was like, 10 in the morning and I was, we were in Albuquerque in AAA and I think I was slated to start like the next day there or two days or something and, and I was just going to breakfast, it was in the morning and I was walking out to breakfast, walking through the hotel lobby and um, our manager Jamie Quirk was sitting in there by himself and he called me over and he said, hey, I want you to sit down for a for a sec and let's talk. And I was like, all right, like I figured we were going to go over like the lineup, like something he was going to give me some advice. Cause I had Jamie Quirk as a manager in high A and in double A. So our relationship was pretty good and we were pretty close. And, and I give a lot of credit to him for, you know, he'd call me in his office at times and, and tell me like he saw it. And, and anyways, uh, he, uh, he ended up, Tell me, he told me the news that I was going to go up and start and and pitch against the Reds, um, like three day in like three days, and so yeah, definitely sat there for a little bit, tried to soak it in, and um, we both kind of you know felt that kind of same feeling, and and he just kind of gave me the confidence to you know it's the same game, you know he said all this stuff to kind of make me feel good because I was. Like, like you said, there's a lot of emotions going on and, and I was nervous and excited and, and just everything. And I couldn't believe it. I, I honestly could not believe it because I, I had pitching, been pitching decent in double A that year. And then when I got to triple A, I really wasn't throwing that well. Um, but I guess it just an opportunity at the right time, um, came up and, and the first phone call I made was to my wife, Megan. And, um, yeah, we couldn't believe it. Still can't believe it. I, I was wondering if it was to Megan or if it was to mom and dad, but I think you have to give your wife the first call, right? Yeah. Wife for the first call and then probably mom and dad and my brother. 
It, it's great hearing these names. Um, I am an Oakland A's fan. Jamie Quirk was a backup catcher for the Oakland A's for the longest time. And then Cespedes played for the A's and, and he uh, broke up your your no hitter. It's it's great. Oh, yeah. It's great talking to, to these people and seeing how many guys I grew up and we grew up watching that are now coaching at the professional ranks. I, I remember your major league major league debut like it was yesterday. I went to courtside, which is now a thrift shop, if you can believe that. And I thought that I could walk into courtside 10 minutes before the game started, sit up at, at the bar, order some wings, order a Diet Coke, and um, have no problem finding a seat. I walked in and courtside was jam-packed. It was elbow to elbow, just like they get for the Hawkeye games. First person I saw was Coach Rowling. He was he was sitting there and ready to go and BS with him for a little bit. And they would constantly show Dagwoods, a bar in Cascade, on TV over and over and over again. And it was packed and people were just going crazy. What has the support been from Dubuque County? during your major league debut and then how has that continued through your time with the Iowa Cubs, the Chicago Cubs and now heading overseas? Yeah, this the support's been there. Oh, it's always been there. Um it's been great. I mean I don't know, like you know, you'll hear all the time about people that, you know, they they're haters or they're doubters or whatever like that. I never feel that from anyone back home. Like I feel like I got nothing but support from everyone, and, and that's been huge for me throughout my career. Um, it's something I can always lean on um, when I need to. And you know, I know that that night was I heard I heard was crazy back home. That night, and then not only back here in Cascade, but in Dubuque County. But um, I think there was probably seventy to 80 people that flew out to San Diego, friends and family. So that's, that's just another, you know, support system right there that, that made the trip. And it was, it was actually, it kind of worked out well because we got, instead of, uh, usually when you got, you get called up, like you're going to be pitching that night or whatever. I had like a three or four day notice to where, um, people could kind of plan their trip and, and, you know, plan their night or whatever. But, yeah, it's been it's been great so far. Yeah, I saw I saw pictures of people in it, the game was in San Diego, correct? Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, a big group of people all with their they already had their custom Ray jerseys ready to go, which which was awesome. Now, and I also used to teach with Nate McMullen at Jefferson Middle School and we would always have jersey days and he would always wear a Colin Ray jersey and just how proud he was when his kids would be like, who's that? Who, who's that guy? And he goes, oh, he's my friend. And then he would he would tell your background story. And then, you know, the kids in his class would be rooting for you as well. Now, what's the biggest difference between playing in the minors, in the majors, just with the game and then accommodations that you might get as a player? Yeah, um, the game itself, it's, you know, it's not a ton different. Def definitely the lineups um, are a lot deeper. Um, you know, usually in AAA you got, you know, the middle of the order, 
that can really swing it. And then, and then everyone can swing it. I, I shouldn't say that everyone can, can swing it well, but just the, the lineups are a little deeper in the big leagues and, and you have a little more, um, the, the scout reports are a little more in depth on each hitter in the big leagues. Um, triple A, you kind of do it on your own. You watch video, all that, but you just have access to, to more reports and, and all that stuff in the big leagues. And, um, as far as accommodations, I mean, it's really not close between the minor leagues and the big leagues. It's, you know, you're charter, chartering flights, you're staying at Ritz hotels and, and getting catered and steak and, and all, I mean, it's the best of the best and the clubhouses and, and staff and coaches, everything's just the best. And, and that's the way it should be. I mean, um, that's kind of what keeps you, one of the, the things that kind of keeps you going in the minor leagues is you, you want to get out of there. Like you want to get out as much fun as it is playing in the minor leagues. Um, you want to get out of there and get up to the big leagues and enjoy all the stuff that, that they have for you and, and the way you're taken care of. And, and the, the other difference about it is when you get up there, it's all about winning and, in the minor leagues, it's it's more about developing. Obviously, you want to win games, but you know it's it's not. At the end of the day, it's if you win or lose, it's not as big of a deal as it is. That's one of the first thing I noticed when I got up there. It's like, you know, we every day we come to win. It doesn't matter if you pitch and you give up, you know, go five innings and give up six runs. Like we win. It's like you better scratch that from your memory and, and move on to the next one um, kind of thing because we won the game, so that's all that matters. Now, in 2019, you were the PCL Pitcher of the Year for the Iowa Cubs. Many thought that you were going to get called up during that season. Did the Cubs ever share with you why they didn't call you up at that time? Yeah, they, they just kind of said it was like an innings thing for, you know, up there. Um, they just didn't really have a spot for me, um, that late in the season to, you know, they already had enough innings covered for the rest of the year. So, um, you know, that's just kind of what they told me and, and yeah, it was a little frustrating for sure, but, um, this is one of those things that, you know, it's, it was out of my control. You know, I, I couldn't do anything about it, um. So just went into the off season and, and kept working. Yeah, you did everything that you could. And I, I know there was some frustration with some people around here because somebody would get hurt or somebody would get traded or somebody would get sent down. And we thought you were the next guy in line. And then they would call up a different pitcher and we'd be like, what in the heck is going on here? But I think with with a lot of times professional sports, you'll see sometimes they'll go and they'll give the younger guy an opportunity over the the guy that's been around for a couple of years. Now, you were involved in one of the oddest trades in baseball, and I'm not going to give too much on that. I, I want to pick your brain on that, but give us the inside view and the information of that trade. Yeah, that was that was a tough situation to be a part of. Um, it was just one of those things where 
that season, especially after the All-Star break in 2016, uh, my elbow kind of had been bothering me um, for quite some time before that, but it really started to get pretty bad at that point. And, you know, I've been getting, you know, treatment on it and stuff almost every day. And then I got traded and I was a surprise in more ways than one. I really didn't think I was going to be involved in any trades at that point. Um, and plus, I I mean, I knew that they kind of were aware of, you know, how I was feeling. So, but whatever, it was, it was actually pretty cool, too, at the same time, because Miami was, I think, tied with St. Louis for the second spot in the wild card at the time. Um, so going to a contender like that, you know, with two months left to go in the season, like, pretty cool situation to be in. And then going and being a starter for that team. I remember they I got traded on Friday, and the GM called me that Friday morning and said, uh, can you start for us tomorrow? And I was like... And I, we were in San Diego at the time, and I was like, yeah. I was like, let's go. Um, but that's the other thing with the trades, too, is is I my brother ended up, he called me at like 5.30 that morning and said, uh, did you get traded? And I was like, I don't know. I don't think so. And like we had no idea for like a few hours. Um, but that's, I mean, that's still going on now. You know, you're finding out on social media and stuff, but. Yeah, then I, I ended up getting hurt in that start, and and it was just it was just a bad situation because I, I could, and you know it was it was a tough, tough, just a tough situation being you know getting to a new team, and and wanting to help them win, and and then you you get hurt, and then you get sent back, and it was just yeah overall it wasn't wasn't fun to be part of. You were actually. Of the feel-good story, one of the many's of this past uh, baseball season, and you were trending on Twitter there for a while. You had four years between big league starts after your Tommy John surgery, and you were released. Did you ever think about hanging it up? And we know you didn't hang it up, but what kept you going through those surgeries and and the four years that you were away? Um, I think just the passion that I have for playing baseball just for the love of the game really um when I got hurt and I went through that full year of rehab I mean I remember sitting down every single night and watching watching the Padres play and just I seemed like every night I missed it more and more and more and just so my love for the game just got that much that much better and I never really doubted that I wasn't going to come back and pitch in the big leagues like it never even crossed my mind um but there were some there were some tough times definitely in like 2018 you know I strained my lat in spring training um my first start after missing all of the year before um so that was really tough because I ended up missing the first six weeks of the season or something and then I went on rehab assignment double a and didn't pitch well and then I went to triple a and didn't really throw well there either and didn't get called up in September <clears throat> So that was, those were tough times, but it never really, I never really thought about, um, well, this isn't going to work out or anything like that. There, that never really entered my mind. I was like, you know, it was just kind of one of those things where I was like, oh, I'll just get up there next year then, you know, and then 
didn't get up there the following year. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just do it next year. You know, it's kind of that simple mentality. 2021 and beyond, Bleacher Report recently did an article about you. And we know you're headed off to Japan and you're going to go uh, do the overseas thing. But Bleacher Report did a did a, a lot of research on you and, and wrote a great article on you. And they were saying that you would have been a huge asset out of the Cubs bullpen. And you were unhittable whenever you faced four hitters or less. But once you faced more than five hitters, you you got knocked around a bit. What, why do you think that that was and and what do you think it the adjustments that hitters were making or the scouting report that maybe they had on you and I know you talked about it earlier when you go in and you know you're only going to face three or four hitters you just come in jacked and you just let it go because you know you don't have to go very long but what do you think led to led to that yeah I definitely think there's a couple factors like you said just coming in and you don't really know how many batters you're going to face but you know, usually you can dictate, you know, situation of the game. You know, there's a couple times where I came in this year in the ninth inning and we were up, you know, five or six runs. Like, if I, if I can face three hitters here, the game's over, right? So just that kind of mentality. Um, but I think as a reliever, the team, the opposing team's not really, they're not doing scouting reports on relievers. Um, they're doing scouting reports on the starters. And so that kind of factors into a little bit, um, you know, relievers and, and me being out of the big leagues for that amount of time definitely played in my favor. Um, you know, cause I hadn't really faced a lot of those guys that I, you know, in, in, that, in the past before this year. So definitely a few things. And then, and then just coming out of the bullpen, it just felt like, you know, you could let it eat. Your stuff was sharper. You, you didn't have to be as fine on the plate. I tried to try to take that, that mentality as a starter, but um, you know that's when starting can kind of play with your mind. You, you're going into the game thinking, all right, I got to go. I got to go at least six innings. You know, you want to go six innings. Anything that after that's a bonus, um, but I got to get six innings for my team no matter what. So you kind of put that just a little bit of extra pressure on yourself and. And and then you start to be a little fine. So I think just you know, there's there's a few things that go into it, in my opinion. I, I followed a lot of your friends and teammates on Twitter, and when you were coming out of the bullpen, especially during your first couple outings, you were reaching velocity that you hadn't recorded before in in major league games, and there was some buzz going around there. We know that Craig. Uh, Krimble was uh, struggling with with the closing role and there were some people thinking that you might have been in line to have been the Cubs closer at some point last year. Now, Colin, before we talk about 2020 and beyond, I failed to mention this earlier when I was sharing about it courtside. Your first ever at bat, you had your first major league hit What's your greatest memory? What's your greatest experience so far in the big leagues? Is it that first at bat, first big league hit, or what would stand up there? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's definitely up there. Um, I don't know how that happened, really. I I remember I 
put together a decent at bat. I think it was like two two, and I was I kept fouling off pitches, and luckily he just kind of threw one, you know, right into my barrel or my. I guess I kind of got jammed a little bit, but um, yeah, that's definitely up there. I mean, at least you know it was nice to get that in that first game. I got a few of the firsts out of the way, um, so um, yeah, that's definitely up there. Other than that, I'm, I mean, there's there's just tons of them. You know, I always – I haven't looked back a ton. I think I will, like, when I'm done playing, um, you know, whenever that may be. But um, there's definitely quite a few. Do you still have the ball? Yeah, I do. I, I have it somewhere. Somewhere? Um, How is that not hanging on a mantle somewhere? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a huge into the memorabilia stuff, but – it's I know I have it somewhere. It's around here somewhere. Now I won't lose. Now before we hit into the the podcast ending double play here, Colin, what what's the future look like for you, two thousand and twenty one and beyond? We know you're headed off to Japan. Where would you like to be three, five, ten years from now? I hope I'm still playing. Um, I mean, I'm. I'm my goal is to play, obviously, as, as long as I can, um, if I can stay healthy. And, and you know, I, I want to enjoy these these years in Japan as much as possible. Um, but if we're looking that far ahead, I definitely want to get back to the big leagues and, and pitch again in front of fans. Um, you know, also for my kids, you know, I have two kids, so they haven't really they haven't seen me pitch in the big leagues. Um, because this year they weren't able to go to the games. So that's, you know, that's something that, you know, I think about too, um, getting them into some games and, and watching. But, you know, I, that's kind of where I'm at right now, but try and do our best to, to live in the present moment and, and, and you know, just kind of see where it takes us. Well, we wish you the best of luck, and I know Dubuque County and beyond is pulling for you and will always continue to pull for you. Anything you'd like to plug, share, people to thank before we sign out? Yeah, you know, I just want to thank all my coaches and and all the way down from Little League. You know, I some of my friends' dads that started us up in the Little League uh, tournaments in Dubuque we used to go there and play every single weekend in the summer and you know the more games you won the more you played and and we we played a lot of games in those summers and and I think that's kind of where it all started and and so just a huge thanks to them and obviously the support from Dubuque County like you said is is outstanding and and um you know my friends still to this day you know we keep in touch you know, we're texting all the time, even during the season. And and then there's my family and, and then my wife and kids, you know, just for everything that they've done for me and and my career um, has been, has got to me where I am now and, and hopefully it'll continue. But um, also this podcast is great. I've, I've listened to, I think I told you earlier, I listened to a few episodes and to prepare myself and, I think it's awesome kind of what you're doing um, with these Dubuque County baseball. And, and I think there's even some that I don't even know if all of them are baseball, but um, 
I think he had a, a did you have a football player? Oh, Riley McCarron was yeah, on we here. Had, we had Riley McCarron from from Wallard on there, and uh, he yeah. he had an amazing career at Wallard, and he was considered a baseball prospect. I actually thought he was a better baseball player than he was a football player, but that shows how much I know, right? Yeah, well, it's actually funny because he, um, when I was at Indiana State, he came to visit, and I remember talking to him when we were, it was either before a game or before practice or something, and I I think he was with, I want to say he's, he might be related to Marty or something, but um, yeah, I remember I remember him coming to visit Indiana State, but I, I heard he was a good baseball player, and he's obviously good at football too yeah (laughs) yeah thanks thanks for listening i i appreciate that and after getting out of coaching for for 20 years i needed something to stay connected to the game and stay connected to the coaches and the players that i've built a relationship with and it's just kind of taken off to where it started at high school and we've had some professional players on and then we we welcome you on board so thank you for uh taking your time to be a guest and and doing this we really appreciate it colin yeah yeah and i also saw that you had rob quinlan on the podcast and i actually i know rob a little bit rob is a good friend of mine yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I have known Rob. Uh, one of my best friends was was his host family, and I, I've been been connected with him for a while. Rob gave me my best ever professional baseball experience I've ever had in my entire life. I can believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I've been I've, I've been around. We have the same agent, or when he played, same agent. So we kind of got connected in the off seasons a couple times, and. And hung out, and yeah, we had we had some good times for sure. He's he's a great guy. He is. It's it's interesting because you talked earlier about the difference between the major leagues and the minor leagues, and he played nine years in the major leagues, and then signed with the Phillies on a minor league deal. And out of spring training, they said we're going to send you down to AAA. And he goes, No, you're not. I retire. And uh, <laughs> he knew he knew he had put in enough years. He still gets a retirement. He still gets a check from Major League Baseball every single uh, every single pay period. But yeah, he just said he could not do the minors anymore. And uh, after nine years of being in the bigs, I I can't say I don't blame him. Yeah, that's for sure. No doubt. Yeah. Awesome, Colin. Best of luck in Japan and 6-4-3. We're out of here. Postgame show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. Thank you for listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. You can find us on social media. Facebook and Instagram by searching Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Coach Manaman. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, find us on Spotify, and subscribe.